Welcome to episode nine of Interviewing the Interviewer. I'm Eric Winston Lobel. Got a great guest on tap for you in this episode. Candace Buckner joins the podcast. Until recently, Candace was the Washington Wizards beat writer for the Washington Post. She has since moved into a different role as a sports reporter who focuses on the intersection of race, gender, and diversity issues in the world of sports, which has obviously gotten more attention, particularly in recent months. We had a great conversation. Um, We talked about two of my favorite stories that she's written. One of them was about race relation issues in Milwaukee. Another is about NBA's players' feet. Uh, I've linked both of those stories in the podcast description, so you could definitely check those out. I actually would suggest you check those out before listening to the conversation, just so you might have some more context. And I promise you they will not be a waste of time. They are really, really interesting reads. Uh, We also talked about what it's like to cover a team that struggles a lot. Uh, That's the Washington Wizards. They haven't had a good team in quite some time. And when you have to write stories about them every day and they're not winning, uh, that can be challenging for sure. Uh, And we also talked about coming up with creative story ideas. You know, on, on that same vein, you cover a team every day. They're not winning. How do you continue to generate stories that, that readers are going to want to read? So this is my conversation with Candace Buckner, episode nine of Interviewing the Interviewer. I'm here with Candace Buckner, uh, an NBA reporter for the Washington Post with a uh, focus on the Washington Wizards. Um, and Candace, before we get into your career path, um, are you going to be in the bubble for the NBA? No, I'm not. And um, actually, uh, just last week, um, it was announced that uh, Abel Wallace, an esteemed Northwestern alum, is the new Wizards reporter. She'll be covering the Wizards from now on, and I'll be transitioning to a new role. Um, Look forward to announcing that later on. But uh, no bubble life for me. Even though you're not going to be in there, what do you think the biggest challenges are going to be for reporters that are stuck in, in, in that area? Um, I'm not sure how much access there is. I don't know um, how, how they'll be able to cover games that are going to be so, in a sense, um, manufactured. I mean, they're playing in these, these playing in the empty arenas, of course, because, you know, uh, the pandemic that's going on. But um, everything just kind of seems very orchestrated from this team will enter the court at this time. They will leave the court this way. Reporters stay that side. There will be no interaction between player and media um, face to face. It just it just seems to be um, a challenge. For, for the people who will be there to get fresh, um, innovative, creative um, work out of something that's very orchestrated and something that's, um, for all intents and purposes, is orchestrated to keep us away. And I remember um, you had said earlier, I think when you came in to speak to, to my class in the winter, um, that was right at the point where they were not the NBA was not allowing reporters in the locker room pregame. What do you think the long-term ramifications are of these limitations? Do you think they stay in place after COVID-19 is a thing of the past, or does it continue? 
certainly hope not. I, uh, I hope um, I hope when the world gets a little bit normal that we um, that we will see things return to uh, a sense of normalcy and 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 how we cover um, and, and, and different beats um, all, all all leagues how we cover those specific leagues and I've always enjoyed being in the NBA more so than any other league because I felt there was um, opportunities for more access. Um, you, on a game day, you talk to the coach three times a day. Uh, you can talk to players uh, twice a day. Some of that has been, over the last few years of me being on, on, on the NBA beat, some of that has been rolled back uh, to the detriment of um, um, exceptional coverage. However, um, I hope that it's, it's not this very um, bubble-like atmosphere once you know, the pandemic clears away and it will clear away eventually one of these days, one of these years, who knows? But uh, I just hope that this isn't the uh, preliminary run for what, how it's going to be. So let's get into your career specifically. So you went to University of Missouri, a very well-regarded journalism school. I assume you wrote for the student newspaper there? Um, I was actually a broadcast journalism major. So... <laughs> I did not write for the uh, the man eater. I, I wrote for like the the, the B team <laughs> um, newspaper, student newspaper called MU News or MU Student News. I can't recall. It was so long ago. But I graduated with the emphasis in broadcast, and it wasn't until my senior year when I decided that I wanted to um, follow writing. And so by that time, at that time, it's way too late to declare. Um, to declare new emphasis and to go down that newspaper route. So I was not um, a part of those classes and, uh, and, and just that route to get to the, um, the man eater. So I, I spent like a lot of time in my senior year working for the NBC affiliate because I was still broadcast major and um, finding some, some articles with the NBC student news. What broadcasting skills did you find were very useful in transitioning to being a writer? Yeah, yeah, I guess um, sometimes uh, I hate when interviews are performative. And the one thing I really like about writing is that it can be intimate. It can it just be you and your source talking. You don't, you don't have a camera in front of you. And sometimes I really hate it when there's a large scrum and typically an, an athlete that you cover, he's, he's good and he's open and he's transparent and he's free and relaxed. But when there's cameras involved, um, it becomes a little bit like a show. Um, what, he or she watches what she says more. And I just say he, cause I, I, I less era of my career, I've just covered um, men's sports. Um, they're, they're a little bit more guarded. So what I've really appreciated appreciate it with writing is that it's just you and that person and you're just talking. It's an interview, but yeah, you're getting to know that person. You're getting to know their story. But I, I think at times when, um, when I have been in a more um, like a scrum like atmosphere, um, my, my, my TV skills kind of click in because you have to get to the point. You have to, you can't have a long winded question and, um, like a, we kind of make fun of, um, I don't know if we, but I, I kind of snicker at myself when I ask uh, a question on top of a question on top of a question. Like that's, 
you're not going to, you're not going to get an answer, a good answer when you do that. So sometimes just being direct and to the point, um, that, that comes from my broadcast skills and that comes from, you know, television journalists because they have to get the bite. They have to, um, you know, get that, that one segment where they can put on air that's going to stand out. So I guess, um, a little, being a little bit more direct, especially when it comes to um, a, a, a very important interview or those, those interviews where you can only get that person when they're in a large scrum. You know, it's funny that you, that, you, uh, that you mentioned the question on top of a question because I was watching an, an interview the other day with Dr. Fauci. And the first question he was asked, I think there were five or six questions in that first question. Like, There's no way he's going to be able to answer all of those because he's not going to remember them all. Right. And uh, th- just recently in these Zoom calls, um, that's, that's, that's how and I, I, was, uh, I was on these, uh, these wizard Zoom availabilities um, because I, was, I want to get in a question and, and use some stuff for some future reporting. And there was a reporter who asked Scott Brooks like a three-part question. And Scott Brooks, being gracious enough, <laughs> you know, tried to answer all three. But, you know, sometimes just spit it out. And the simplest way really is the best way. If you can just ask a question, and sometimes, you, you know, I think sometimes as journalists, especially as beat reporters, because you have relationships with these people, a working relationships with these people, and you see them every day, you don't want to ask something um, that may seem a little um, 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 harsh. And, and sometimes a direct question can be harsh. Like, I, I get that, I understand that, but sometimes, not, not sometimes, but all the times, journalists, young journalists, please ask simple, direct questions, and if they, if the, if the source answers it or if they don't answer it, it's telling. Even if they don't answer it, if they dance around it, that's telling. And then follow up with the same question. Um, I mean, that's our job to get insight, to get answers. So don't dilly-dally and pussyfoot around with these, these questions on top of questions. It's like Inception, a dream within a dream within a dream. Just ask the freaking direct question. And um, I'm, I am saying that so much to myself, too, I've been in this thing for almost two decades and there's still a lot for me to learn. It's still a lot for me to um, hone uh, um, with my craft. And a lot of that has been with just being shut up and be direct. Now you had several stops before getting to the Washington Post. What do you think was the most valuable skill you learned um, once you started your professional career? Uh, most valuable lesson I've learned when, when I started it. Once you started. Yeah. Um, you know, so long ago, (laughs) um, I guess I would just say relationships. Uh, I, I did high schools for a large chunk of my early career. And you would think that, you know, as a 20 something year old reporter that you have very little in common with kids. And that's the truth. However, um, I, was not, I wasn't so far removed from their world and their understanding where I could talk to them and try to make them feel comfortable in speaking to an adult. And of course I was an adult, so I can speak to the coaches, I can speak to the parents or the ADs. So I just think it's important to A, be yourself and hone in on what your 
you're specifically skilled for that task. And in that time, I was still, yeah, and still in my 20s and still very youthful. And I was able to, when it was, a, you know, definitely appropriate, because I, I, I did think, like, that's kind of weird for an adult to be calling a kid, you know, for a scoop. Um, you know, that's kind of weird. Um, and, you know, you don't want to have any, any sort of, um, any perception of impropriety. Um, so building relationships, but learning how to build those relationships within the, uh, the confines of your job. Um, and I think um, for, 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 for me, a lot of it really came through the parents or there was just a, a kid that you just vibed with because you, you guys may have a similar background. You came from the same city or I, I may have known older brother or older sister or something like that, but really try to learn how to craft relationships. And I think I, I learned that early in my career that relationships in this business are everything. So when we were talking about asking questions a few moments ago, you mentioned how when you're on the beat, you, you don't always want to be asking those really harsh questions because you're around the coaches and players pretty much every day. When you're covering a team like the Wizards that have been uh, struggled um, in recent years, how do you approach getting what you need but also being respectful of, of the players and coaches? Yeah, um, they have struggled. <laughs> in my first year, they, they almost went to Eastern Conference Finals and definitely um, more fun because you're covering um, – uh, a winning locker room and when they're winning they're more chatty they're more open stuff like that however um it wasn't it wasn't so difficult in covering them the last few years because i had developed um my standing in the locker room i would say you know i wasn't i wasn't quote unquote boys with uh with with these guys i wasn't part of their entourage but i think they they knew me they respected me and there were times i you know uh, and I shouldn't say you don't want to. I really, sh I should really should clean that. You don't want to ask direct questions. I know it can it can be uncomfortable, but there are other ways. You have to ask the questions, and there are other ways to get to it, Eric. Sometimes um, you pull, and and I do this so the other reporters don't get my stuff. And I know other reporters do the same thing, so they can have a one on one. But after the scrum, pull pull the person off to the side, and and ask that question, um, so you can get that answer, and you, you can. Um, report on it and 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 put the cons and put the context to it, but um, it wasn't that hard working the locker room. I would say it was more difficult in finding new and imaginative ways to write about the same issues. And the Wizards, their issues for the last, I would say, two and a half, maybe just for the last three years, has really been their defense. So how do you how do you write about a team that just can't defend? in new and creative ways that actually, um, you know, build onto the, the narrative. I, I like to think of a season when I was a beat reporter, one season is a story, it's a narrative. And each game, each practice, each event just kind of adds to the story, the beginning, the middle, and the end. So when it's Groundhog's Day and the Wizards keep giving up 130 points, and that's not normal, how do you make that a different day in the story? Like, how does that build on yesterday? How is that, how is that different from two days ago? So that's, that's the biggest challenge when you're covering a team that's losing, because typically um, a losing team isn't bad to cover, because sometimes they're just dysfunction. 
this dysfunctional. And dysfunction can be great to cover. <laughs> it, it can be more fascinating and more fun than if uh, you're covering the 73-win uh, Golden State Warriors. Um, so it's, it's not so much the locker room. It's, um, it's just finding, if, if they're redundant in losing, then that's the challenge. So how do you go about finding those different things to write about when it's Groundhog's Day and the Wizards have given up 130 points again? That's another excellent question. I tried to get off the beat. <laughs> I try to write about the opponent or you try to write about um, something that's going on with the personality of the player. Because I, I honestly, I, I, I don't write for clicks, but you have to understand in the business that we're, um, that we're in, there's information available that tells us what readers are reading. And out of the four, and I think I probably said this in your class, out of the four major um, um, clubs in Washington, D.C., the Wizards were number four um, behind the Washington Football Club, behind the Nationals, behind the Capitals. Number four, bringing up the rear. So that tells me that maybe readers just don't care about them giving up 130 points anyway. So let's see what else could be interesting. And I've always been more fascinated with the culture of the NBA. Um, the little nuances and, and things that are just unique to an NBA locker room and, the, and to the league. So I've always tried to find things that, like, of course it's great when Zion is coming to town and unfortunately um, the season stopped before uh, the Pelicans come in, but whenever like a big name is coming in or just a fascinating person, Giannis coming in, maybe, um, uh, even shoot Russell Westbrook, uh, you can focus on that person because I think there's still a hunger and an appetite for the for NBA coverage amongst um, post readers. But so if if readers don't care so much about the team that you're covering, um, I would say maybe try to make them care about the player off the court. And this year, I started out. Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with House Hunters on HGTV. So I, I, I did a story about how there were so many new players on the team, so many new staffers, so many new coaches, that how do you find homes in, um, and, or how do you find homes and residences for all the new guys um, in the market? Um, another, shoot, I'm trying, it's, it's been so long. You know, it really does feel like it's, it's been a year and it's only been a few months. Um, this pandemic has really ceased time with me. But I've, I've just tried to find just different ways to, um, to, to cover the team outside of the court. One of, one of my favorite stories of yours that I read was the uh, NBA players and their pedicures. Um, one of mine, you, too. <laughs> how, how did you come up with that idea? You know what? You're being in a... Um, um, a locker room long enough, you start noticing some things. And um, I always go back to a, a Baxter home story a couple years ago about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or just peanut butter sandwiches um, in a locker room. And it was so good, but it was one of those stories where I wanted to punch myself because I'm in a locker room every single day. I see those and I wasn't curious enough to say, huh, why are these grown men eating peanut butter uh, sandwiches? And it wasn't just peanut butter sandwiches. It was almond butter. It was, it was wheat bread. It was 
um, all different kinds of bread and peanut butter. And it's like every different team had like the, a different spin off the classic peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But Baxter got that story simply because he was in a locker room. He noticed that. And although it may seem like wallpaper to a lot of uh, the other journalists, just things that, you know, just there, it's always there to Baxter. It was okay. This is interesting. And somebody else is going to find this interesting. And anybody who knows Baxter Holmes is going to remember the peanut butter and jelly sandwich story. So being in the locker room for many, many years, you see these guys in various states of undress and they always take off their shoes and you see some gnarly looking feet. So I just got my, my little noggin thinking and it it hasn't, it hasn't really been like a, this wasn't a groundbreaking story. I think there's been other like little profiles and things of that nature. I'm sorry. It's a phone call coming in profiles and like little video vignettes of, Oh, we're going to follow Dwayne Wade and LeBron James uh, to um, I'm throwing some names out there, just of older names um, to a, to a nail salon. So I thought, you know what? These guys have gnarly feet, but a lot of them, their feet look as good as mine. And so I'm, I'm curious. And so I just got curious to say, who gets pedicures? Why do you, why do you get pedicures? And uh, what type of pedicures? And the way that those guys opened up to talk about their feet, um, without fail, you know, you got some, I, I would get some grown men blushing and laughing when you bring up the topic, but they would get to talking and Harry Giles, I hope I'm saying his name right in Sacramento, um, Kings and, and then DJ Augustine with the Orlando Magic. They have routines and it's just, it was just so, it was just so fun to write that story and to have basketball players, these big tough dudes, uh, you know, kind of open up and talk about something that I'm sure they weren't asked a lot of times about their feet. So very long answer, but um, I, I think Eric, just as long as you're around something, always just be curious, keep your antennas up. And although it may seem like it's just normal and it's just a part of the, a part of a uh, part of the the culture of the nature and it's nobody you think nobody's going to think that's interesting i guarantee you if you if it's interesting to you it's going to be interesting to people who do not have that access and who are not in that um that locker room another story of yours candace that i that i really liked and this is i guess more of a serious topic was the story you wrote last year about um the milwaukee box and racism in milwaukee and you know that's racism is a topic that's been heavily covered in the last couple of months with, you know, the black lives matter movement. Um, and I'm just curious um, if you want to talk about that story a little bit, what inspired that, but also how do you foresee writing stories in that same, on that same topic in the future? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, that story kind of morphed a little bit because I, I wanted to, my original idea was, you know, after Sterling Brown had his episode and was caught on the body cam of, a, of being tased by police, I, b- I believe, um, had his incident with police because he parked in a um, disabled uh, parking spot and just had this, this whole incident. I wanted to write a story 
about what is it like being a a black man in, in Milwaukee. And that was that was my that was my pitch, a very general idea to be a Bucks fan and to be a black man in Milwaukee. Milwaukee has a um, has a very slight um, African American population, and 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 most of most of most of that uh, population lives in M Milwaukee City proper. But Milwaukee itself is, as you can imagine, very very white. So your team is the best team in in the East. Has goals of going to the NBA championship. They got this new um, arena. There's a lot of excitement, especially with Giannis. You have the most exciting player in your city, but do you really embrace that team? And do you really embrace your city if the city doesn't embrace you? And I I found some statistics and like how no matter um, and unfortunately this is this is the case in a lot of cities. Very small African American population, right? But the majority of the arrests are people of color. Uh, black and brown um, people, and the majority of people living in poverty are black and brown people, and that inequality um, um, is, is is very telling of the city and the demographic. I talk about St. Louis, and um, we definitely have our racial inequalities there too. So it's not just um, unique to Milwaukee, but uh, it is a it is it is something I wanted to explore. So very long winded answer, but that's how the story started out. But um, it, it ended um, with, uh, with just a little bit more direction because I, I, I guess I need a more direction uh, and, and get it a little bit more focused. So I like telling those stories because although, um, you know, sports is fun, somebody's going to win an NBA championship this year. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Milwaukee, maybe it'll be L.A. in the, in the bubble. But the things that will stay with me on the way to those championships or just the stories about that community, the stories about the people, the stories about the fans, and just the things outside of business and money and transactions. I, I, there are some people who are great as transaction reporters, but I think sports is more of a, a people, um, a, a, a people business, and people are complicated. People, um, people are come from all different walks of life, and I like to explore that. Uh, especially when it comes to race and culture. Uh, so yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. I just feel like uh, I, I just I just feel like that's something that I've 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 always wanted to explore, even when I was back in in uh, a high school preps reporter. It's interesting you mentioned that, Candace, because um, you know, especially the NBA today seems like the only thing people care about are transactions is, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski has, you know, millions of Twitter followers because people care about the transactions and the scoops. How do you, how do you, how do you continue to, though to make sure people care about those human interest stories? Well, the, the thing about it is there's an audience for that. It really is. I've seen it. Um, I've, yeah, when I, I've been uh, fortunate enough to break a, a crumb here or there, yeah, I'll, I'll get a, a radio hit, but I've gotten more attention when I've written about men's feet or um, what's going on in Milwaukee or uh, fatherhood. I, I got on NPR for crying out loud uh, for talking about, uh, for writing about men's feet. So that's, 
I only I only use that example to say that there's there is a vast audience to learn um, uh, for, for for people who are curious and want to learn about the people underneath those jerseys. And yeah, it is it's it's fascinating. If this was a normal July, we would be talking about um, um, you know where Davis Bertans landed, and if uh, if the Wizards were able to to build up their their bench or their starting lineup or get a, a stretch uh, a stretch forward that can help John and, and and Brad. Yeah, that would be that's fun. But at the end of the day, that's because of Twitter. That's here for a second, and then and now what's next? Then it's it's this insatiable appetite of okay, now what's next? But I think a story about peanut butter sandwiches, a story about uh, Lloyd Pierce, um, the Atlanta Hawks coach, and how he found his voice as a leader um, it, during this movement that we're living in right now. Those are what's those are stories that stick with people, and those are stories that last. And they're really the stories with substance. So I know there's a there, there's an audience for long form and narrative and story and um, stories about people. And yeah, it, it's it's great to break the news about uh, you know where LeBron James is going to head. That's this huge news, huge news. But I also want to know the story about how LeBron James uh, was able to make his son's game in Massachusetts and at the same day at the same yeah same day play in Boston and that that happened this year he was able to catch a game of, of Bronny James um a high school team and and still play uh, at at TD Garden later that night i'm i'm way more interested in that than anything else that has to do with uh, these athletes now one last uh, brief topic i want to get into before i let you go um, I had Kevin Blackstone on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about African-American journalists in sports. Um, and one of the things he mentioned that I found interesting was that, you know, I think he mentioned maybe like the 1980s, 1990s, newsrooms started being much more cognizant of diversifying um, the race of their reporters. Um, but then he mentioned that once digital media kind of took over, outlets kind of lost sight of that again. I was wondering, as an African-American woman in sports media, if you could just comment on, um, if you think, you know, what, what your thoughts are on the current environment and, and how you think it can improve moving forward. Okay, uh, say that one more time. I'm sorry, I got a Slack message from my editor. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> basically, like, as, as an African-American woman in sports media, um, what do you think still needs to to improve for people like yourself moving forward? Because obviously things have changed yeah. for the better, but it's not where it should be still. For sure. I think what needs to improve, uh, people like me, uh, right now I, I do feel established. There's a lot for me to, to learn. There's a lot, a lot left for me to grow into, Eric. But for someone like me, who is um, a little bit more established in her career, uh, we have to, I've stood on people's shoulders throughout my career. I've had champions um, help me out throughout my career and mention my name in rooms where I wasn't expecting to be mentioned. So now um, it's time for my generation to pay it back, to grow up and to be the mentors to the next generation. 
I really want to see it more at a grassroots level. And I guess it starts um, maybe even in high school, um, as early as high school, but colleges. I think it's, it's very important that we get more women of color in, into sports and into sports writing. Because you can't tell me, I, I, I thought, you know, I was, I was a rarity growing up in the 80s and 90s, but you cannot tell me that I'm, there, there's, there's unicorns like me um, so up there, I'm, I shouldn't be a unicorn. I, I should be the rule. There should be young women of color who want, who love sports and want to write about sports. And I know there's a lot who want to be, um, you know, be in front of the television or work in broadcast. And that's great too, because we, we need some decision makers behind the scenes um, at ESPN, at Fox Sports, at uh, NBC Sports Affiliates. But as far as writing and in the newsroom, there needs to be more people like me helping the next generation. So um, that's what I'm really devoting myself to um, at this point to really, you know, reach my hand back and say, whatever you need from me, how can I help? Our jobs may open, um, our jobs may not open because of uh, the time that we're living in. But, you know, when things do get normal again, I want these ladies to be there and I want these ladies to be ready. So I just, uh, I just really truly hope that 18 year olds, 19 year olds, 20 year olds, 21 year olds see, can see a future in this, um, in this business. And um, you know, th those young ladies of, of, of Brown and, and uh, uh, black origin, they can, uh, they can see themselves at a, at the Washington post or the New York Times, or the Los Angeles Times, or Bleacher Report, or ESPN, or wherever where they desire. Um, but especially on our local level, I, I hope our local, well, first off, I hope our local newspapers don't all die and go and extinct. But um, if we can save the, save the business, I think um, um, if we get more women and more women of color into these positions, it will be, it will be beneficial for us all. That was Candace Buckner, sports reporter for the Washington Post. Really enjoyed our conversation, and I just love her story about NBA players getting pedicures. Just such a unique idea, and um, the fact that she said that it was basically in front of her every time she went into an NBA locker room um, just, I guess, emphasizes how important it is to keep your eyes open because um, when you are around the same thing every day, it can be easy to overlook what goes on but uh, that was just a, a, a great story and really really interesting to read I should also mention um, that uh, she alluded to speaking to a class I was in she uh, back when we were on campus uh, in the winter she skyped into one of my classes so um, that's what she was referring to and uh, as I said before just really interesting to listen to her talk about her experiences and how she approaches things so that's episode nine of interviewing the interviewer a little bit of a milestone next week episode 10 dropping we'll be headed back to the baseball world next week and talk to one of the youngest and most talented broadcasters in the business